Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden joined by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We are all three back together for the first time in a couple of weeks here. And we've got a lot to talk about. Top 100 prospect list season is officially underway, and the Orioles are showing up strong uh, in the preseason rankings with Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus, both ranking eight Orioles in their top 100 prospect list. We'll get into that as well as our bounce-back candidates for the 2023 season. We each pick the hitter and the pitcher who we think will bounce back from either injuries or just overall struggles last year and deliver a big 2023 but first, as we start off every episode, we'd like to welcome new members of our Patreon community, and I'll turn that over to Bob. Yeah, seven new patrons since uh, the last show, I think, is the, is the answer to only have two of us at a time. Is that what's getting all these <laughs> patrons to join up? But uh, no, it's been a great turnout as uh, we released a preview of our Top 50 Countdown, and we're getting right to the Top 25 right about. So BJ Guntz, welcome aboard. Dan Reese, Brandon McBride, Jason Winterling, Dan Murphy, Eric, last name withheld, and Benjamin Enser. Thank you guys for signing up. And Ben, if you can be like Benjamin, you'd be a true hero because he signed up for the $10 a month AAA level for a year straight. So we, uh, have, we're we locked into at least doing this podcast for another year, just to honor him. Well, welcome to all members, new members of our Patreon community. And thank you for those who have been loyal to the community and have stuck with us. Uh, we got a big season in store. And some signs of that come from the new top 100 prospect list. And Baseball America was the first one to drop last week as they put eight Orioles on their list, starting with Gunnar Henderson, the number one overall prospect in baseball. He was one of two Orioles inside the top 10 as Grayson Rodriguez ranked six. The remaining players are on the list included Jackson Holiday at number 15, Colton Cowser, the 41st ranked prospect, D.L. Hall checking in at number 75, with Jordan Westbrook one spot behind him at 76. And then Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz rounding out the group, with Norby placing 93rd and Ortiz 95th. Baseball Prospectus, meanwhile, had three Orioles inside of their top 10 list, including Henderson at number one, Rodriguez 8th, and Holiday 9th. They then had Colton Cowser 38th, and then this is where it starts to get interesting. Kobe Mayo, who missed Baseball America's top 100 list, 
actually ranked 69th on baseball prospectus list. Jordan Westberg then checks in at 74th, followed by Connor Norby at 82nd and D.L. Hall at 95. So the big differences in the list come down in some ways to where players rank and then others in the fact that baseball prospectus does not have Joey Ortiz inside its top 100, while Baseball America does not have Kobe Mayo in its top 100. So, Nick, I'll start with you here. Just looking at these lists overall to see eight players on both rankings, what does that say about the state of the farm system? The the state of the Orioles farm system is uh, is great. Is that what you're supposed to say in the State of the Union address coming up? I was a history teacher. I should know this. Uh, made my students watch that speech. But uh, I think it's just really great to see the national media kind of catch up to what we've already known for a while and that it, this farm system is deep uh, and it's really talented. And from a national perspective, I just think the system has always been the last you know two years or so has been loaded with under the radar guys and i don't follow other systems so i people always ask why isn't this orioles guy a top 100 player and like i i can't tell you why like i'm not going to pretend like i know other systems i don't know why this guy is lower when a lot of orioles fans thinks he should be higher like i do know like baseball is full of a lot of impressive prospects and for the orioles to have eight guys on this list Two different lists so far is a true testament to, I think, what the national media now thinks about these guys. Uh, and, and I also genuinely think that there are legitimate cases for at least two more guys to be on this top 100 list in the very near future. So I think it's awesome to see. Uh, we got two down, a couple more national lists to go, and I'm sure the Orioles will have seven or eight on all of those lists. So it's it's going to be awesome. I'm as confident as ever in the direction of this franchise. Like. Some people, I think, right now rather fixate on books that are going to remain out of the public eye forever. Um, I'm fixated on some really amazing baseball that we're about to be that we're about to watch in 2023. Yeah, just to piggyback off of all the correct things Nick just stated. Um, yeah, there's under the radar guys. Radar starting to pick them up now on a national level. They are hitting the radar for sure. Um, yeah, and it's like thanks for catching up. We, we're lucky enough to been able to follow this development and drafting scouting player development um throughout the past three years and it's just gotten better and better and better if you would have told me okay adley rutschman number one prospect in baseball he graduates gunner henderson number one prospect in baseball he's about to graduate jackson holidays a top 15 top 10 prospect already six months after being drafted by these two publications and with an up arrow and i think even either jim callis or the other MLB pipeline guy who we had on here, Jonathan Mayo. How could I forget Mayo? Um, they both pretty much said, yeah, he could easily be the number one prospect this time next year. It's just elite talent pipeline achieved. Now let's uh, let's get them up, keep them up, and get to the playoffs. Yeah, I think that it's really interesting when you look at these lists to see that there are names I think we would have expected this time last year to see here, even if we wouldn't have necessarily thought that Gunnar Henderson was going to be the top guy overall. But last year, this time, I felt like we were focusing a lot on, you know, when is everybody going to notice Jordan Westberg more? You know, why does Baseball America only have Colton Calder ranked 98th on their top 100 list going into the season? And now you see these guys starting to climb up a lot more, not to mention Connor Norby, our guest last week, who this shows you that national outlets, not just people who closely follow the Orioles, are buying into what he did at the plate last year and the way that he's developing offensively. 
with Norby, like we knew the hit tool was going to be good because he was one of the best hitters in college baseball at ECU. I, I think he then he lead the nation in base hits his last year there. But like the guy hit 29 home runs across three different levels in his first full season of pro ball. And he also missed a few weeks. I know like Kobe Mayo was joking when we asked him, I was like, well, I missed some time with injury. Connor did too. I mean, Norby got drilled in the eye with a pitch. That's right. And then I think uh, it was – I can't remember where, but it was another interview he did uh, at some point last year. I think when he was recovering from that, he said he got COVID. And so like he missed a, a good chunk of time there recovering from that. And you know, I, I didn't want to bring that up when he was on the show, but a part of me really did want to like hear more about that because like we've had Lamar Sparks on the show, right, before you know, former Oriole farmhand Lamar Sparks, but he got hit in the eye too. And we heard his story about – how it took a long time for him to feel confident in that box again. And it took a lot of work with the coaching staff to come back from that. Norby jumps right back in the batter's box and ends the year in AAA Norfolk. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's say what you will about Orioles when once prospect reached AAA, but when they see the talent there and you're showing the organization that you can handle it, they're going to be super aggressive and push you up that ladder. And Norby's right there at the top of that list. Yeah, true hockey fan right there. You get <laughs> get beat up, you hop right back out there. There's no injured list in hockey, even though I'm sure there is. Um, yeah, I mean, I was enjoying listening to the Baseball America, uh, the projections podcast with uh, Ben Badler and Carlos Carrazzo. Car- yeah, Carrazzo, who, which uh, finally came back after a hiatus, and they're talking up Orioles left and right, including Connor Norby. Same with the Baseball Prospectus uh, podcast that was – talking about their list and it seems like you know norby doesn't have the true power of a kobe mayo for example but he hits the ball hard and he hits the ball in the air at a good launch angle consistently and that's that's pretty good recipe for for success at the major league and minor league level and it seems like the orioles they're focusing on getting guys that hit the ball hard and just getting that launch angle up a little bit to send the ball flying and so far it's working and uh it's pretty fun Pretty fun to watch. I do want to step back for a minute and look at Gunnar Henderson. Um, I think that we've said a lot about how good Henderson can be. There's some interesting tidbits that Nathan Ruiz over at the Baltimore Sun wrote about last week. Rutsman and Adley Rutsman and Gunnar Henderson are the first prospects to be ranked as number one overall in base, Baseball America's list to have come from the same draft class. That has never happened in Baseball America's history before Adley Rutsman and Gunnar Henderson. They are also only the second prospects to be back-to-back top, you know, number one overall prospects in consecutive years since J.D. Drew and Rick Ankiel did it for the Cardinals in 1999 and 2000. So that gives you a sense of how, what rare company it is to have back-to-back number one prospects who are not the same player, and even rarer that those two players come from the same draft class. But looking at Henderson specifically, I think we had high expectations for him last year. He probably shattered all of them. Where do you feel about him going into this season? I think he's going to immediately be a perennial, maybe not superstar right away, but like all-star level player pretty much is the way I'm feeling right now. I think he can play shortstop or he can play gold glove caliber third base with his arm we we saw that with the MLB pipelines rolling out their stuff too um he's got the best rated arm him and Mayo tied for a 70 arm 
over at third base and he, he, just the way he improved from 21 to 22 i can't imagine how he's going to improve from 22 to 23 and yeah i think he's pretty much going to be consensus number one prospect in baseball it seems like uh just based on pipelines rollout so far i think he's going to be number one there he's number one baseball america number one baseball prospectus wouldn't not i'd be surprised if he wasn't number one for fan graphs and espn as well so yeah i think maybe there's a reason the orioles have been a little bit conservative much to a lot of fans chagrin but when they know they have adley rutschman and gunner henderson right here with a bunch of guys just right under surface level waiting to uh splash up into the majors maybe there's a reason for that yeah we'll see about pipeline because then they have like that mets catcher and like ahead of gunner last year like come on all right you're, you're trying to be different that's cool but um like gunner baseball america's little blurb says it all he's a well-rounded player with a few weaknesses and he reached the majors two months pretty much right at two months after his 21st birthday i think like i don't care if he plays third or short and you're talking about that and him you know mlb pipeline giving him and mayo the strongest arms among the third base prospects it's really fun to read like oh well if gunner's at third you're gonna have to move mayo but mayo is also amazingly good at third base and is is a legitimate you know big time prospect in this system but you've got gunner henderson so you might have to move him oh gunner might not be able to play short not because he can't play short but because joey ortiz's glove is truly elite i, I can't remember who was writing about that i was reading earlier today so it's that makes this even more fun to read but gunner he did kind of really blow my expectations out of the water. It, I think if you if you believe in a lot, a lot of these projections and everything, they're fun to look at in the offseason, I guess. But Steamer's projecting him to be a 4.1 F4 player as a rookie in the major leagues. Like that, if he does that, that is phenomenal. Because Baseball America also put out an article today about a lot of these former top prospects who just haven't been able to hit yet. Jared Kelnick, Joe Adele. Justice Sheffield, a lot of Mariners, oddly, on on their in their article, but how it takes time and some of the greats. You know, um, Nelson Cruz wasn't a, a full time major leaguer until he was 28 years old, and all these guys who got shipped up and down five times. Corbin Burns was a disaster one year. The next year he's a Cy Young candidate. Like, um, so I was not expecting Gunner to play as well as he did when he first got called up, but I think a lot of people feel pretty confident that he could reach that four F four status as a rookie. Yeah, and also Adley Rutschman, did you see today, was projected to be like the fifth or sixth highest war in baseball with 5.6, I think. Uh, Sarah Langs tweeted that out. Pretty incredible. Um, And one of the favorite things that I read about Gunnar recently was that he had a five-something slugging percentage um, in the minor leagues, and he hasn't even begun to tap into the power potential as he gets stronger and gets more into his prime. So that's pretty scary because we saw him hit – that home run in Cleveland in his debut, we saw him hit a ball that I think only David Ortiz could have hit to dead center in Boston. Um, the power's already there. We've seen it to all fields. And if it, it's going to be even better, then, man, Orioles, enjoy the next six years because uh, Boris might have a, a pretty good superstar here <laughs> on his hands in a while. Looking at, you know, up and down the list of the players that were ranked, any general thoughts about uh, anyone who we haven't talked about yet? Joey Ortiz yeah. is a top 100 prospect, <laughs> and that is incredible. That is amazing story right yeah. there. Uh, if you just look at the way he was drafted as a glove first guy, and he's starting to break out, gets hurt, misses a year, comes back, has a pretty bad first half of last year, 2022 season, and 
it's like, okay, that sucks. He was about to break out and the injury kind of, you know, shelved that potential growth. And then he's like, nope, I'm going to make a swing adjustment. And then just have an OPS over a thousand from an X 300 at bats and get into top 100 prospect. That's crazy with his glove. And, and I was listening to, I, I can't remember. I'm reading and listening to so much stuff right now with the list season coming out that someone was saying the bat, they think it's for real. They think there's like power potential to be like Jeremy Pena style of a player. And that's pretty cool. So yeah, Joey Ortiz, just really happy for him that he got on a top 100 list and he's going to have a chance to make an impact with the major league level very soon. I think it was Zach that threw out uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was like Jeremy Pena comp to Joey Ortiz. Like, is that crazy? I was like, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, now more people catching on to that. Um, I just think Jackson Holiday. I I'm going to include myself in this, but I don't. I just don't think a lot of Orioles fans fully understand how good Jackson Holiday could be. And I, again, I am one of those people because right after the draft, like if I remember correctly, I don't think I think Michael Elias's comments right after the draft were basically like, "You're not going to see this kid in Delmarva. He's 18. We're going to send him to Sarasota. He's going to learn. He's going to acclimate there." But he ended up playing the majority of his games in Delmarva. And you look at this whole season, pulled up, uh, da, 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 see, eight games in Sarasota, 12 in Delmarva. Total between those 20 games, he walked 25 times and struck out just 12 times. And like, what are the two numbers we always point at? When we're talking about the DSL and FCL kids. It, we look at walk strikeout numbers. That typically pretends to, you know, is this a guy that's going to, you know, have good uh, approach to plate? Does he have good swing decisions? Like that's elite from Jackson Holiday. Uh, he's going to be a, a potentially a what 19 year old, early 20 year old, ending the year in Double A. I mean that's unbelievable. And I think I went back and looked at John Mioli's newsletter from a couple of weeks ago when he looked at some of the the prospect data, the batting data from some prospects who who could break out next year. And he had Jackson Holiday, but he said as a pro, this is a quote from John Mioli's maximizing playoff odds. Go subscribe. And he said as a pro. Uh, he had, wait, is this a, let me make sure I got this one. said John Rose, Jackson Holiday. Yeah. Uh, as a pro, he had a 10% Jackson Holiday, a 10% end zone miss rate, and a 13% chase rate. By comparison, Adley Rutschman had a 9.5% end zone miss rate in the big leagues and an 11% uh, before his promotion. Rutschman has long been the gold standard for swing decisions on the Orioles farm. Holiday is going to take over that title going forward, and it's going to be impressive to watch how he develops. Yeah. If you're not excited about Jackson Holiday, now's the time yeah i kind of think even we are sleeping on jackson holiday because yeah. jared seidler has uh had some tweets that have been pretty exciting something about like i was trying to find it while you were talking but i couldn't i did find the one where he said quote unquote jackson holiday is probably a global top 10 guy now he's the coldest take people will think is hot that i've ever made on this account <laughs> that was from december 11th and obviously he's top nine on baseball perspective baseball practices list and he had a part in that so maybe that's cheating but he also said something about the the small sample size from last year is going to make people gloss over the fact that he had like 15 walks to or whatever the walk to strikeout number was and that how ridiculous it is and you know he's not going to walk over 200 times but this is a special talent we're talking about so yeah a full season of jackson holiday might have us uh thinking gunner henderson who no i doubt that but it's just it's crazy to think just the level of talent that is constantly going through the system right now. And it's uh, there's only so many words that we can <laughs> say differentiate these guys when we haven't really 
seen him especially a lot, but yeah, Drew Jones over Jackson Holiday, not in this lifetime. I was happy to see Colton Cowser ranking where he does on both lists. I think it's kind of validation of what he can do offensively. Um, the power uptick that we saw last year, I think, is going to sustain itself. And the strikeout numbers, they were you know a bit of a drawback, but you also have to realize that there was bad grouping, you know, grouping of tough plate appearances early in the year at Aberdeen, and then right after he got to Norfolk, kind of brought those numbers up. So I feel like with the extended run at AAA and the ability to kind of work on what he did last year to hit for more power, we're going to see the strikeout numbers neutralize a little bit. And he'll be in that camp that, you know, Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers were in last year, where it's how can you justify keeping this guy down in AAA any longer? Now, hopefully the Orioles are contending. We won't have to have that discussion that much, but I think Calder really is going to bang down the door of the majors next year. The same for Jordan Westberg if he's not on the opening day roster, which right now I would give Westberg a shot at making the team. I think that there's you know, a blocked path possibly with Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias still on the roster, but maybe Westberg does get in there, and if he doesn't, I don't think he's going to need much more refinement at AAA, and then Rodriguez and Hall, I think we both we all know how vital these two guys are to the future of the organization. Yet I feel like Rodriguez in particular has sort of been forgotten about lately. And I don't know if that's because he missed a good chunk of time last year with an injury, if all of the negative attention that's being paid towards the Orioles pitching staff is sort of overshadowing anything that could be positive about the rotation next year. But even if you end up with 140, 145 innings from Grayson Rodriguez at the major league level next year, that's going to be better than what a lot of young pitchers are going to give you over that stretch of time. And I still think that the makings of a true ace are there. And then as for Hall, we didn't really see him scratch the surface of what his stuff could be at the major league level last year. I don't know if that was him adjusting to the bullpen role or wearing down a little bit as you know, late in the season, but I feel like there's much better stuff than what we saw late last year in there from him. And that even if he does settle into a reliever profile, there's a lot to like, and I'm still not going to write him off as a starter just yet. Yeah, I agree. I do think that his fastball was diminished by the time he made the major leagues last year and back to baseball America, they did their top 10 fastballs inside of their, uh, top 100 list and DL Hall was number four with the average velocity of 96 miles per hour, a stuff plus of 117 and a whiff percentage of 31%. He said the Orioles left-hander is, has a stockpile of plus or better pitches and certainly has a case for the best fastball on this list. Former four seamer sits 95 to 97 and he's the only left-handed pitcher to touch 100 miles per hour on the list. While commanded his question, he's fairly strong strike thrower landing in the middle of the list in terms of strike rate and metrics that measure location. Um, they go on to just rave about him. Uh, Hall has top of the scale fastball from the left side to go along with the deep arsenal of plus or better pitches. Few, if any, left-handers have Hall's level of raw stuff at their disposal. And, yeah, that's a guy who's 95th on baseball prospectus. Uh, I don't buy that. I think it's not going to matter because he's not going to be even on eligible for the list that much longer. But I still love the potential of D.O. Hall out of the rotation. And, oh, yeah, we have arguably the best, but seems like Andrew Painter has knocked him down the second best starting pitcher prospect in baseball, Grayson Rodriguez, who could be a mid to top of the rotation arm immediately 
as soon as 2023. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I, I don't care that Painter Painter's going to be hit of Rodriguez. I feel like on every list just because of the injury, and that's fine. Again, that's one of those instances where I don't know too much about Andrew Painter except that he's a phenomenal pitcher and a phenomenal prospect for the Phillies. And Grayson Rodriguez is phenomenal in his own right. I mean, just last year we were looking at some of these articles coming out and talking about how Grayson Rodriguez on all four of his pitches or five of his pitches. I mean, he was one of the top in swing, swing and miss inside the zone with four pitches. I mean, the guy has an elite repertoire. He finished strong when he came out from his injury. So I think again, he's going to have every opportunity to to make the team at a, out of spring training. I could see a scenario where he does start in AAA Norfolk deal hall. I know some people have mentioned like he could start in Norfolk's rotation again. I don't see that happen. He's in the majors. I don't think deal hall is going back down starter reliever. I'm going to give him every opportunity to be a starter. Like if you look at, we've talked about this before the, so some of the more you know, advanced metrics on halls numbers, you look at his fan page. I mean, they were, way better than some of the you know the era 5.93 but he had a fip of 1.65 it's still striking out 12 and a half guys per nine innings. the walk rate was actually not terrible i mean it's give him time to settle in and remember he didn't throw for what like seven eight months he did not throw a baseball and by december he started ramping up or really just picked up a ball for the first time in december and then by the end of the season he's in the major leagues so yeah i'm sure he's his arm was just done he was exhausted at that point so I'm going to give him a fresh, full, healthy offseason to come into things. But, yeah, as far as anyone else on this list goes, like, I mean, you mentioned Colton Kowser. Kowser is honestly becoming one of my favorite prospects in the system because the guy just knows how to hit a baseball. You you watch him live. he's You can just see everything, him processing everything in his mind, and it just looks so easy. Uh, I've mentioned before just his ability to, like, all right, this whole idea of, well, just take what the pitcher gives you. Yeah, it's easier said than done. Colton Kowser really does make that look easy a lot of the time. Um, and I also just love that it's Jackson Holiday is getting all this high praises. He's probably going to be the number one overall prospect in baseball before too much longer. And every, when that pick was made, it was like, but Tamar Johnson, but Drew Jones, but when Colton Kowser pick was made, it was why, why Colton Kowser? We're seeing why pretty, pretty early on too. Yeah, the all hit, um, no power. I, I liked, um, there was, I think it was the baseball prospectus podcast was like, it's pretty interesting that Colton Kowser went from a, a slap hitter to a three true outcomes guy who either walks, strikes out, or hits a home run, basically. And he said they made that a testament of the, the Orioles player development. And then they noted that Kyle Stowers was able to cut down his strikeout rate. They said they expect Kowser to do the same, as do I. I think he's an underrated defender just because he's not flashy. I think he's very solid in center field, could be a plus corner outfielder. He's got a better arm than you would imagine. And yeah, Jordan Westberg, the only other guy that I haven't touched on is, again, I feel like underrated, just super solid, just going to give you power, hits the ball hard consistently, just like Connor Norby, more poolside power, I think, than Norby, but can play defense all over the infield and not hurt you anywhere that he plays. It's just, it's a, a bag of riches. Just reach your hand in, pick one up. You'll be happy. We'll have more top 100 lists over the course of the offseason. MLB Pipeline is actually respected, expected to release its list later this week. And, of course, we still have Fangraphs, ESPN, The Athletic, among some of the other notable lists that have not been released yet. And 
If there's anything notable to come out of those, we'll be sure to react to them on future episodes. And we'll get in now to our break or our bounce back candidates for the season. But first, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down the Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 to get 200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your side in an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. There may be questions about Patrick Mahomes and his ankle heading into Sunday. There's no question that Jalen Hurts and the Eagles are riding high entering a showdown against the 49ers. Eagles is two-and-a-half-point favorites combined with an A.J. Brown touchdown anytime same-game parlay Sounds like a lock to me. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code on the verbs. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the verbs. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So what we thought we would do in this section of the show is go over some players who we think could bounce back from some setbacks or some struggles in 2022. Our criteria for bounce back was fairly broad. We could pick players who struggled statistically or pick players who missed most of the season uh, with an injury. So the end result is we each picked a hitter and a pitcher and got a pretty broad range of prospects in. And what I'll do here is before we get to our pitchers, we'll each name our hitters, starting with Nick. My hitter, I went with John Rhodes. Like, I'm going to pound the John Rhodes drum until more people jump on board because I think the Orioles were able to grab themselves a really solid player here. Uh, like He was hitting well in Aberdeen. He had an 817 OPS, a 14% walk rate, and was even a perfect 16 for 16 in stolen base attempts down there in Aberdeen. But I think at one point, you know, he was even labeled the most athletic prospect in the system. That, that still may be true, but he got promoted to Bowie, and I thought he was really going to take off, but then it just didn't happen. Only got in 25 games with the Bay Sox. And I think there was the wrist injury. I think there were some other injuries as well, and they just probably lingered, and I think that prevented him from doing just too much in Bowie. So when you talk about like making good swing decisions, that term that the Orioles are preaching, like John Rhodes is your guy, and the, the data is all there. John Mule put a lot of that data in his newsletter article. John Rhodes is your guy, and now he's got him, Joey Ortiz, Adley Rutschman were some of the leaders in like swing and miss rates uh, as far as the lowest swing and miss rates in the organization two years ago. Like, We just need him to stay fully healthy, and let's see if he can bounce back in Bowie next season. Yeah, I was going to take John Rhodes if he wasn't already written down by the time I got <laughs> to the spreadsheet that we put together. Um, but I went with Cesar Prieto, who, you know, just the way he started in Aberdeen, I think he had six home runs in that first month, just hitting the cover off the ball. Like the only person that hit better at Aberdeen than at Bowie. I feel like there's just a lot that goes into his season last year. And I feel like he's just a pure hitter that's going to figure out how to how to do it at a higher level than he did last year in AA. And I think he was a little bit worn down from the long season, which is really puzzling that they sent him as well to the Arizona Fall League. But, I mean, maybe there was something there they were working on, but... 
and just you know first season grinding in a professional setting after migrating over from Cuba I think there was just a lot into his 2022 it was a little loaded now the expectations can come down a little bit he can relax and just be the hitter that he is and I think he's gonna gonna do better than people expect coming off of the season that he just had I'm with a guy a little bit lower in the farm system. That was Mr. L. Dayson. Dayson had had that big 2021 season at the FCL that left many, ourselves included, with high hopes for what he was going to do at Delmarva last year. And he never could get going at the plate. Um, 313 plate appearances for the Sorebirds. Batted this 230 with a 596 OPS. Yet when Sam Zelnick was on our show a couple of times last year, he talked about how people outside the organization are Highland Day shown and also noted that he's one of those guys that may have been hurt by the elimination of short season A ball. Because in the past, a player like Day shown probably would have had time somewhere along the line at short season A before getting to low A. Now players are making that jump from the FCL to low A, and I think it's a little bit harder. Uh, one of the things Day shown did a lot of last year that you don't want to see him repeat is he hit the ball on the ground a lot more than he had the FCL the year before. So there's a lot of things with his plate approach and his contact skills that they have to work on. But the raw athleticism for him to be a really quality outfielder is there. And I'm not that concerned necessarily about whether or not the power is going to show up right away because he's still just 20 years old, and that's a big thing to remember. He turned 20 in July, so he's going to play – roughly half the season as a 20-year-old, probably back at low A, at least initially. Just want to see him hit, hit the ball harder this year, get that average on-base percentage and OPS up, and I think eventually the power will come along for him. But I kind of like Dayson as a bounce-back candidate. He's 6'4", and he's, just, he's still got this baby face, but it's just this this grown man body just ready to burst onto the scene. I, I just – he was so frustrating last year because you see him for a couple of games and you're like, this is it. It's going to happen. Here's the breakout. And then nothing. It was like three weeks where he just struggled. Um, but yeah, I think the age thing is important. He's still just 20. He's still going to be age appropriate. I think that I wouldn't, I don't know if anybody has talked about this, like what I, mean, I think Drew Rom kind of mentioned it when we had him on, but I haven't really heard anybody else really talk about like how organizations are, preparing the, the younger prospects without that short season ball? Like, what are they doing to, to ease that transition? Is it just spending more time in low A? Like, I, I don't really know, but we'll see. Because I think Kobe Perez talked about that at the end of the last season, that some of these guys are going to repeat. I think some of the guys who we thought would repeat ended up jumping to high A, which is great. But, yeah, I'm interested to see what some of these repeaters, Creed Willems, Michelle Desson, um, Anthony Servideo, we're talking about hitters. I was almost wanted to include him on this list because we haven't really seen him since he was drafted. Um, that's a big bounce back candidate too, I think. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Dayson does. I, I really like him as well. And Prieto, I think I'm going to be, I hate to, to do it, but I, I'm just going to be the down guy on him, I feel like, uh, until he proves me otherwise. The numbers just got worse and worse and worse. But again, I don't want to dock him too hard because you mentioned he made a major life adjustment. Um, I don't know why he was sent to Arizona either, other than clearly the guy's a grinder and wants to play baseball, which shout out to him. But at the same time, like give the kid a break maybe. But I, I think I almost wonder if he 
we maybe see him more in the outfield. He played short. He played third. He's okay there. Um, I think a lot of reports about the arm maybe not being as strong out there, but I wonder if we see him more in the outfield and the Orioles kind of prepare him as this like super utility type player, especially if Norby and Westberg ahead of him. That's it's a pretty tough uh, lineup ahead of him to crack. That's a good point. And I did hear actually that, you know, Connor Norby could be potentially a, a left fielder down the line as well if if all these infielder guys mm-hmm. hit and stay in the organization. I think he got some work in. He, he talked to you guys about that. and He got some working in the outfield last year. And before we move on, should we mention that also people that got votes, Dylan Beavers, Heston Kersad, Kobe Mayo on the Baseball America list. And I just want to say Kobe was number 69, nice on the baseball prospectus list. I think he'll be top 50 uh, universally by the time midseason rolls around. And yeah, I think he's going to break out in a big way. But he seems polarizing. The more I see, like, hear people talk about him, it's either you're on the Fangraphs baseball perspective. Because I know Fangraphs, I forget where he ended up in their updated version at, by the end of last season. I feel like he was close to being a top 50 guy on Fangraphs list. But I feel like people see that power. They see the the defense at third, and you dream on that. You you heard since the draft time, the Austin Riley comps, you know, whatever. We know how I feel about comps. But he could be a, a big-time perennial all-star third baseman. But at the same time, so many people, because the injuries, because the numbers in Aberdeen maybe didn't stand out, I think a lot of people want to see more. I think they are going to see it. But I, I have seen some interesting Kobe Mayo takes over the last week or two. Uh, people don't like the swing. The contact was "quote unquote" trash. What I saw one person say. Um, don't don't believe don't believe that. If you're skeptical a little bit, I, I understand why. But nothing about his game is trash. My dude has put on like 20 pounds of muscle since the <laughs> offseason began. So yeah. if you thought he was hitting long home runs last year, wait till this year. Yeah, I think that by the beginning of July, a lot of the skepticism around Mayo, such as is left, is going to start to dwindle. Um, kind of like what we saw with Henderson last year. I think you had some doubts about his game going into last season. Then it started to kind of go away a little bit when he got off the hot start at Bowie, and then it completely vanished after a couple of weeks in Norfolk. And I want to go back to our discussion about the bounce-back candidates to – Add in a couple of things here, which is one, I'm really interested to see what John Rhodes can do with a healthy and extended run at Bowie. Prieto, to me, kind of feels like an atypical Orioles hitting prospect in the respect that he doesn't hit for a lot of power. We saw him hit for power at Aberdeen, and he doesn't walk very often. Um, But good bat-to-ball skills, so there is a foundation there for him to get better next year. And then Anthony Servideo, the only really extended run that we have seen him since he's been drafted back in 2020 was the early part of the season of 2021 in Delmarva. In that stretch, he played in 20 games, 92 plate appearances, had 28 strike or 28 walks compared to 26 strikeouts. I think that total either led or was close to the lead overall in minor league baseball at that point. And he had an on-base percentage of 489. So he was well on his way to getting a early season promotion to Aberdeen, I think, before he got hurt. So I really do want to see him healthy for 2023, get out there and show what he can do, because that's an interesting skill set when you combine his plate approach with his versatility 
um, his athleticism in the field, especially at shortstop. He's an interesting prospect that unfortunately we haven't seen much of the last two years. Yeah, he walked so Silas Ardwan could run in the FCL, <laughs> at least. I know he walked like a million times in limited plate appearances, but yeah, it would be nice to see him just be healthy. That's almost like him and Carter Baumler, both from that same draft. Like, I just, uh, spoiler alert, I just talked about Baumler on our top 50 countdown. And uh, basically, it was just like, stay healthy. That's all we want this year. Just stay healthy, get a full season in, and then let the rest take care of itself. And I feel like Servideo is a little bit like that on the offensive side, where I, I still think he could be a very solid middle infield prospect, maybe you know, a better version of Caden Grenier uh, that maybe could hit a little bit, walk a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to, he's been around long enough to, he has to prove that he can stay healthy. That's almost uh, as much of a skill for him as anything else right now. Yeah. And I just go back to right after the 2020 draft, it, it was Fangraphs again, who said you know, the Orioles walked away from that draft with six guys who legitimate traits and could legitimately be future major leaguers. The only organization that walked away with you know, five or more guys like that. Uh, and Servideo was definitely part of that. Uh, questions about the bat when he was at, I always get this confused. He was at Ole Miss, right? Yeah. yeah uh, so with the Ole Miss, area. Mississippi State. I, I always get them confused. Him and Westberg and where they went. He was at Ole Miss. Um, but yeah, it was the bat free at Ole Miss and, before the uh, the pandemic ended the 2020 season, like the numbers were insane, but you know, that's against, you know, non-conference schedule in February, early March. So was it legit? I think a lot of people did think the bat was legit and he was showing in that small sample size that I think it definitely was there. So yeah, hopefully he's healthy next year and, and, uh, and plays. We just need to see him on the field because it's been a long time. We'll go to our pitchers now, and I'll start with Bob, who has a guy that was seen not just by us, but by a few outlets in the uh, baseball prospect industry as a potential breakout candidate last year after a promising 2021, but unfortunately he saw his season limited because of injuries. Yeah, Brandon Young is who we're talking about, and that's what the point I was going to bring up. Like This time last year, we were like, Get ready, Brandon Young season coming. We were pretty high on him, I feel like, coming into the 2022 season. Started out okay, but his peripherals were really weird. Like, he was walking more, striking out less than he was the year before. And what do you know, he gets hurt. Um, so I really think you just throw out those numbers completely because who knows how long he was pitching with that shoulder injury. I believe it was a shoulder injury. But shoulder injury, a little scarier than an elbow injury. Seems like a little iffier coming back from that. But if he does, I don't see any reason why he can't pick up where he left off, at least, you know, as far as the stuff is concerned, maybe uh, he might not be a starting pitcher long term in this organization once you get up to the higher levels into the majors, especially. But there's no reason to think that he can't be a really solid multi inning reliever with his build and his stuff if he comes back, like I said. So, yeah, I just I want to see what he does if he's healthy to start the year, if he's going to get a delayed start. I'm not sure, but just want to see him back on the mound and see what he can do because I feel like we lost out on that opportunity last year. Yeah, that one hurt. I mean, he's he's a tall righty, 6'6", six, six, four pitches, struck out a third of all the hitters he faced his first season of pro ball. And the only thing that worries me is, like, we heard nothing when that injury happened. We heard I, – I don't remember reading anything 
all season long about what happened to Brandon Young. Um, still haven't heard anything. We know he still uses a, a flip phone and isn't on social media, as we learned when we interviewed him before the season started um, or right as the season started. I can't remember when exactly we had him on, but so we can't like stalk him on social media either to see what he's been up to. Um, but yeah, it's that's a little worrisome, but uh, he's been one of my favorites since the Orioles signed him, and I'm very excited to see him back on the mound. And hopefully he's ready to go when spring training rolls around. Yeah, this guy we were all excited about last year because his 2021 season had been so promising. And Nick, I know you had been high on him going back to when the Orioles originally signed him in 2020. And um, he looked like a guy who had the potential to deliver on the promise of maybe being a back-end starter at the major league level. So hopefully he is healthy this year. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, um, another – uh, undrafted free agent that signed that same 2020 season, Ryan Watson. I feel like, you know, where Brandon Young stumbled, got hurt, and couldn't fulfill the promise that we had for him. I feel like Watson, Ryan Watson was just like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll take care of that. Because he pretty much had the season that I would have been happy that Brandon Young had last year if he would have been healthy. So just interesting. And all of those guys would have been drafted fairly certain they would have been drafted in those same rounds those same areas of the draft where look at the the pitching prospects from last year's draft class that we're hearing more tidbits from about you know the fastball movement or the profiles on multiple pitches and how these are guys the org is really high on potential breakout guys i mean those guys would have been drafted those same range too so i, I think the i kind of i wonder how they feel about that undrafted moniker you know of that short draft but yeah, um, I guess we can go to my guy is another tall guy, and I went deep with this one. Uh, I was kind of looking through. I don't even know who to go with. Uh, I wanted to say Antonio Velez, but I just didn't see enough of him last year to like get me as excited as I was when that trade went down. So I went uh, way deep, Keegan Gillis, uh, but he is 6'7", so this is a 2021 draft pick out of Tulane. This whole two-lane Baltimore pipeline that is growing stronger and stronger, Keegan Gillis, Hudson Haskin, Colin Burns, I mean, just all these guys. But he's 6'8", he throws in the upper 90s, I think he touches 100, deep pitch mix, curveball, slider, he's got it all. He was lights out at Tulane, pitched just one inning after being drafted, and then four innings last year before he went down, also with a shoulder injury. Came back at the end of the year, I know the numbers were not great but still he missed pretty much the entire season with a shoulder injury so uh, those are rehab outings i think so hopefully he starts i'd imagine he probably starts next year in delmarva i don't know how the org feels about him how much work he got in the offseason what it looks like the spring but if he does start in delmarva aberdeen regardless i just want to see him back on the mound because the guy's a fireballer you talk about the the fastball that sneaks up on guys and just explodes once it reaches the plate He's got that kind of pitch a lot. Like we talked about Chase McDermott. I think Keegan Gillis has that same type of pitch. Um, he's a developmental project that probably takes some time, but I, I don't know if it's the Felix Batista effect or what, but you show me a six, eight guy with command issues, but a lot of like great underlying traits. Uh, I'll be a bit more patient and see what this organization can do. Cause they worked some magic with Felix Batista. Yeah, you're talking about my 81st ranked prospect here. Let's see if you can get into that top 60, <laughs> top 50. I believe. It was, I just went back when I was trying to find more about Keegan Gillis of seeing what we had put out or whatever. I remember that he 
the Shorebirds put him and then Jared Beck, the seven-foot lefty they drafted last year, back-to-back outings. I would love to talk to one of the hitters that had to go against both those guys in back-to-back games. I think it was in Salem. Just I could not imagine being in the box against those two guys. And I like the comment from mm-hmm. Vivek here. Relievers can move fast. So, yeah, if Gillies mm-hmm. gets moved to strictly relief and it's just going to start just chucking that fastball, then, yeah, you never know. Mm-hmm. He could move three levels this year and be knocking on the door next year, year after. Yeah, Gillis, you know, I know we have not seen much of him in pro ball, unfortunately, but based off of the little bit we have seen, um, there's definitely some promise there. And I agree with Nick that when you look at his struggles at Delmarva late in the year, I don't know how much you can hold that against him when he's going out for one or two inning outings after having missed pretty much the whole season and only having one inning of pro ball under his belt before the start of the 2022 campaign. So definitely want to see more of him in 23, and I think he is a good bounce-back candidate. I went with a guy who is a little bit better known, and that's Kyle Bronovitz. Um, going into last year, Bronovitz seemed to be one of those guys that was getting more attention nationally and looks like someone that could profile as a possible rotation option for the Orioles later in the season because he would be starting out at AAA Norfolk, and the one thing that he had shown an ability to do going back to his days in college and then again in his first full season in pro ball was throw strikes. He's a consistent strike thrower, doesn't walk a lot of guys, and while he does not throw hard, he has that knuckle curveball in his arsenal that can be a really effective output. Yet we ended up only seeing Bronovitz in two starts last year at Norfolk before he went on the IL and ultimately had Tommy John surgery. I don't think that we have heard an exact ETA for him this year. And while it's possible that the Orioles do have kind of a conservative ramp-up plan for him going into the season, I think that there's still a chance that we're going to see what made him such an interesting prospect going into last year because he's a strike thrower, uh, does not give hitters a lot of mistakes to work with. And just seems like the kind of guy that is, if that knuckle curveball can work its way back um, and he really gets a feel for his repertoire once he's back on the mound, depending on how long that takes, I feel like he can pick up where he left off. It's a good call because they surprised us and started him at AAA last year. So clearly the organization was high on him and then he gets hurt almost immediately. I feel like, you know, especially early in the season after John Means went down, he could have very easily made his major league debut last year. I mean, you had if Tyler Wells, Chris, Chris Ellis, and who else? Even Spencer Watkins, who really has been really good this year and gotten much better. If these guys can, and Zach Lothar got some some innings, Bruce Zimmerman. If these guys can get starts to make appearances at the major league level, I don't see any reason why Kyle Bronovich couldn't have last year if he stayed healthy. Um, and yeah, if he seems like he's recovering very quickly. Um, he was throwing before John Means and seemed like he was right on track. So, yeah, I could easily see him come back, get that knuckle curve going, and be the next Mike Messina in Baltimore. I, I just want to see him back on the mound because I think how aggressive they were with him speaks to how high the organization views him. I mean, he they targeted him in that trade with L.A. as part of the Dylan Bundy return, and he – Pitches, he graduates in 2019 from Elon, 
he doesn't pitch that year with the Angels. I think they're an organization prominent for not putting their pitchers out there in the middle of their draft year. Doesn't get to pitch in 2020 because of the pandemic. So he went a long time between throwing uh, without being injured. Uh, Just unfortunate circumstances there. And then only needed 34 innings, eight starts in Aberdeen before they moved him up to Bowie, where he struck out like 30% of guys in Bowie. ERA under four. I mean, he was really good in Bowie. So I was excited to see him in AAA. Again, I just think that kind of tells you how the organization views him. I do honestly believe that he, yeah, he would have made his MLB debut last year if things went right in AAA and the injury didn't happen. But hopefully we see him by midseason and we'll see what it looks like. Hopefully by the end of the year, he's you know, feeling like himself again and is back you know, full-time role in Norfolk's rotation. And maybe you know, next spring training, we're looking at, all right, where does Branovich fit in? But yeah, this is definitely a guy who I think you view as a, a potential starting rotation candidate. Yeah, absolutely. And just to summarize, uh, some of our bounce back candidates, Bob had Cesar Prieto and Brandon Young as his hitter and pitcher respectively, while Nick picked John Rhodes and Keegan Gillis. And I had Michelle Deshaun and Kyle Bronovitz. Of course, there are other players that we didn't mention that could improve upon their 2022 seasons greatly. Neil Diaz. Bounce back. Yep. <laughs> or could bounce back from injury um, and put together a good year. So, Bob, real quick, since you just mentioned him, what's the update on the Neil Diaz jersey? Uh, still gathering uh, dust in my closet. <laughs> no, no bids from the patrons. No. Nobody that wants it for free, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll keep it around. It's good memories. Well, we'll um, we'll update you if the status is the Usenil Diaz jersey changes at any point. Um, in the meantime, though, we will be back with a new show next week. Between now and then, you can follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds and check out our Facebook and Instagram pages as well. Those are active. And be sure to visit BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. For all the latest coverage on the NFL playoffs, the Orioles, and more. In addition, hop on to Patreon and join our community for as little as $3 a month. You'll get access to a WhatsApp group that's fairly active, a shout out on the show. And on higher tiers, you will get daily content, including the rollout of our top 50 prospect countdown list. As Bob mentioned earlier on the show, we're about halfway through the list now. So things are really getting interesting. Um, And a quick shout-out to Ryan Watson, who agreed to have an exclusive interview with Bob last week, which went out to patrons first and then went up on our main feed. So if you have not listened to that yet, be sure to check that out. Ryan shared a lot of great insight. It was a really good interview. So certainly rooting for him next year. Um, For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.